Today on the newscast, an Israel election preview from Jerusalem. That's next. Hey folks, Eric Stackelbeck here. Welcome to a very special Watchman newscast, our Israel election preview. Israelis will head to the polls this coming Tuesday, November 1st, for the fifth time in under three years. Now he's joined in Jerusalem this week by two top Israeli analysts to break down what we can expect. Will Benjamin Netanyahu complete his political comeback and become prime minister once again? Who are his closest competitors? And what will his coalition look like? And what about current interim Prime Minister Yair Lapid and Defense Minister Benny Gantz? Where do they stand? And who is Itamar Ben-Gvir? And why is he the most controversial man in Israel right now? I sat down with Alex Trayman, CEO and Jerusalem Bureau Chief at JNS.org, and Ruthie Bloom, an author and commentator and a columnist at JNS.org, for an in-depth look at Israel's upcoming election and why it will have major ramifications for the Jewish state, the United States, and the world. Take a look. Alex, number five in under three years. How did we get here? Well, we've had... Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for 12 years consecutive, 15 years in total. And uh, while he's been probably one of the greatest prime ministers in Israeli history, uh, not every parliamentarian likes working with him. And so even though he remains Israel's most popular politician by a large margin, Israelis don't vote directly for their prime minister. You go to the ballot, you vote for a party. And then it's up to the parliamentarians to actually form a majority coalition. And unfortunately, you have too many parliamentarians that don't want to uh, rally and join a coalition led by Netanyahu. The reason why we've had five elections is because those same parliamentarians that don't want to join Netanyahu also have a hard time forming a majority <coughs> coalition to block him. So we continue to have a standoff after standoff, and now we're going to our fifth election in less than three years. Yes, yeah, so it's not a situation, Alex, you broke it down beautifully. It's not a situation like in the United States, for instance, a Trump versus Biden. This is almost like party versus party in a sense. Correct. If, if Israelis would go to the polls and pick their prime minister directly, Netanyahu would win by a su substantial margin. Yeah. Now, he has to form a coalition, Ruthie, of 61 seats in the Knesset. Right. There are 120 seats in the Knesset. So 61 gives you a majority. Traditionally, this was too razor thin a majority. Usually, they're a much larger majority. But in the last years, because of many reasons having to do with raising the electoral threshold and lowering the electoral threshold, and trying various uh, methods to make it more of a slam dunk vic victory for, for one of, or other of the big parties, it's been a mess. And Alex is right, this has to do with, uh, partly with hatred on the part of many par parliamentarians, hatred of Netanyahu. Personal animus. Personal. Yeah. However, let me say how ironic it is that his party has garnered and continues to more seats than any individual other party. And that is the Likud party. That's the Likud party. And in addition to that, in every single poll of, uh, between Netanyahu and the other heads of parties, he is way above in uh, uh, suitability for the premiership. Yeah. So uh, the thing is about him that it is true that he can be antagonistic to 
his rivals. However, he was not the long, Israel's longest serving prime minister in history for nothing. Yeah. He was a great leader, and uh, I think, and, and most Israelis know that. Once and perhaps future Prime Minister Ruthie, great point. Hey, 15 years altogether as Prime Minister, the three-year run from 96 to 99, and then 12 years in succession. Okay, I guess the big question, we're talking about coalitions here. We're talking about the Likud party, Bibi's party being the most popular. Can he get to that magic number this time? 61 seats. And who will he align with? Who will he partner with in an attempt to get there? Well, there are nine parties in the current Knesset. Uh, 13 parties in the Knesset, nine parties in the current coalition. So he has to form a coalition together with other parties. Uh, he leans to the right. He polls to the right. He campaigns to the right. Uh, and so there are parties that are religious parties, traditional religious parties, uh, Ashkenazi parties, Sephardi parties. These are two religious parties. Uh, um, different groups, and then you also have the more nationalist right-wing parties, the religious Zionists, and uh, so that is his preferred coalition, and it really is very borderline right now whether those parties will be able to cross that threshold. If they get 61 votes, Netanyahu will be the prime minister. If together those parties get 59 votes, he will not be the prime minister. Yeah. And, and then we might be elections headed, again, perhaps. Might be headed to another election because on the other side, Yair Lapid, who's the polling in second place behind the Likud right now as, and is currently the interim prime minister, he will also have a difficult time getting across the 61 That's right. threshold. In fact, the current interim prime minister, uh, Lapid, mm -hmm. he, his best bet right now is having, uh, th having a sixth round of election and waiting for it because... What he knows now, which it is absolutely impossible for him to reach a majority without the anti-Zionist Arab parties. With, even with them at the moment, he's polling below 60, even with all of them. So he knows that he has no chance, uh, and he claims that he would not join a Netanyahu-led government or would not join Benny Gantz, who's our defense minister, and he has his own party. The left is very fragmented right now. Let me ask you, Ruthie, is there, look, fifth election in under three years, is there fatigue among Israelis with all of this first? Uh, secondly, what are the big issues that Israelis are concerned about? I, and I know there's a terror wave in Judea and Samaria right now. We talked about it off camera. Uh, Iran, of course, but in the economy as well. It, start with you, Ruthie. What are some of the issues that Israelis are concerned about as they head to the polls? Well, it depends which sector of Israelis you're talking about, right? The uh, middle and lower economic, socioeconomic classes care about the economy right now. Prices are out of control and there's not only is there inflation but there's also just these uh, the supply chain issues because of the war in ukraine etc prices in the supermarkets are soaring so i think that's probably their main issue um the arabs uh, the arab sector is very concerned about massive violence in the Arab sector, murders. Now I'm not even talking about terrorism against Jews. Right. I'm talking about inter-Arab uh, crime. There's been a crime wave in the Arab community. And, yeah. and honor killings and revenge killings and, mm -hmm. I mean, horrible stuff. Now, in the more, let's say, upper middle class and higher classes, you have uh, concern... I would say about things like the like Iran or about this latest 
uh, maritime deal that Israel is about to sign with Lebanon. Disastrous deal. I want to ask you more about that, Ruthie. We'll come back mm -hmm. to that maritime deal. And interim government cutting such an important deal, pretty interesting timing. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Is there, do you think, is there a concern that some say, wow, what is going on, going on in Israel? They need more stability. They have all these elections. I, we need a stable Israeli government with all these threats gathering. Yeah, I think that people don't understand the opportunity cost of not having had a stable right-wing government for the last several years. Uh, you know, Netanyahu had managed to forge uh, several peace arrangements uh, with Muslim-majority countries, you know, had sort of stabilized security the last several years uh, before this new transitional government were some of the quietest in terms of security. Uh, and things have become unstable for sure. But what I always like to tell people is that uh, when the mandate to form a government does not uh, pan out, at least it returns back to the people. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, this is a democracy, and uh, so returning yes. that mandate back to the people is certainly better than the alternative. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Israel's, some of Israel's critics say, well, it's, it's a fascist state. It's an apartheid state. Fascist. Five elections in under three years. It, five fair and free life. Secondly, Ruth, you touched on this. Uh, Arab parties who are critical of the state of Israel, severely critical in some cases, serving the Knesset and some rather large parties. So that's democracy, folks. That's Israel. Uh, Ruthie, some similarities between Benjamin Netanyahu and former President Donald Trump, do you think, in terms of the opposition from the left uh, and the mainstream media in the U.S. and Israel? Do you see the, and they, interesting, they had a great relationship when they were both in office at the same time. They're a little bit on the outs now, but do you see some similarities there? Oh, definitely. Uh, we'll start with the fact that opposition to, the, to, to both of them in their respective countries is often more personal than political. There's a lot of uh, the, the mudslinging gets down to the personal. Uh, you know, he's a criminal, he's corrupt, he's this, he's, it, as opposed to looking at their policies. And I the mean, legal struggles and yes, potential and, and indictments. Instead of looking about how Trump, yeah. before the pandemic hit, the economy in the United States was booming thanks to Trump. And you mentioned their relationship. It's also very, very crucial in Israel who is sitting in America. Now, Netanyahu did two things opposite things that were both crucial. One was he managed to maneuver or the, the muddy waters when Obama was president in the United States. Uh, then even. with Trump in the White House, he, they had, they, there was a mutual warm bath that achieved so much. Yeah. Now, the, Netanyahu's enemies claim, the left in Israel claim, what they like to say is, you see, we are better for Democrats because Netanyahu caused um, Israel to be a partisan issue in the United States. He spoke which, before Congress, right, which is, the of Iran course, deal. It's the Democrats who made Israel a partisan issue. The Democrats turned against Israel. It isn't, it is not, Netanyahu didn't do that, and Trump didn't do that. It, 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 they reflect a situation. They didn't cause it. Yeah. And uh, now it's, it will be very interesting to see what happens in the midterms in America. Yes, it will, right because around the corner. if you have Netanyahu back again, and if you have a Republican uh, majority, Congress, or at least House or Senate, hopefully both, yeah. um, that'll be very relevant for anything dealing with Iran and everything else. Yes, it will. And perhaps that Congress could, could block a potential Iran deal. A, a lot of, a lot at stake right now, Alex. 
And when we're talking about the Israeli political landscape, the right seems strong and a very good chance of having this coalition come November 1st. Some have said the left in Israel is dying. Uh, what do you think about that? Obviously, the Labor Party reigned supreme for, for decades here until Menachem Begin. Uh, what do you think about the state of the political left and that whole movement here in the state of Israel? Well, before the first election, you could look at the political spectrum and recognize very clearly that Israel is a very firm uh, center-right majority mm -hmm. country. And the left-wing parties had about 35 seats out of 120 in the Knesset. They were relegated to the backbenches of the opposition. And then because of this growing hatred within the media and within the parliament for Netanyahu, you had several defectors from the right-wing camp that joined, not only joined the left, but brought all those members from the backbenches of the opposition into key ministries in this country, including the foreign ministry and the defense ministry and many others, only because of their personal animosity towards Netanyahu. So even though the right had made so many gains here in this country to, to and move the country uh, firmly to the right, uh, you had a few selfish members of the Knesset that actually brought the left back into power and the one thing that's different about this election than the first four is that the incumbent is now Yair Lapid who is the head of the progressive left in Israel he is the interim caretaker prime minister and if there's no clear-cut uh, conclusion to this fifth election he remains in the chair of prime minister until a new government's form and who is Jair Lapid, Ruthie? Alex, I want to ask you about Benny Gantz, the current defense minister. When you look at the landscape, it seems that Lapid and Gantz are Bibi's most serious challengers, I guess you would say. I'm going to ask you about Gantz, Alex, but who is Jair Lapid? For our viewers who might say, who is this guy? He's been caretaker prime minister for four months. They, everyone in America knows Bibi Netanyahu. He's very well known to Well, American Lapid audience. was also, before that, foreign minister in uh, yes. Naftali Bennett's government. Well. I'll tell you who Jair Lapid is. He is the son of the late Yosef Lapid, who was called Tommy Lapid Tommy. in Israel. That was his nickname here, Tommy. He was a left-wing uh, politician, so anti-religious that all he wanted to do was block religious parties from having any power in the country. Now, he called himself a centrist and formed a party based on change. You know, the hope and change. <laughs> narrative that always pops back up, um, but he was actually on the left. Yair Lapid uh, is his son. Yair was a journalist. He was also a bit of a celebrity. In other ways, he played a bit parts in movies. Yeah. He was a, a sort of very hunky, gorgeous young guy. He had, he was kind of like the Oprah Winfrey of Israel for a while. He Talk did these, host, uh, yeah these one-on-one -on -one interviews that weren't really political, they were more like uh, personal. And before the 2015 election, he formed a party and people laughed like, oh, what a journalist. It, it started becoming more popular for journalists to join, to, to enter politics. Yeah. By the way, on the left, when a right-winger did it, yeah. they, believe me, it was like, it's unethical and they just right. jump over. Anyway, he formed a party and by some miracle, he got lots and lots of seats. The miracle mm -hmm. was, oh yes, we don't want Netanyahu and we don't want the left. We want the center, Lapid is the center. Again, the baloney that constantly is fed to a weary public that is hungry to buy it. 
He's the center. He's, you know, he's pluralistic. Mm -hmm. So he got lots of seats and that uh, sort of started his political career. He, he was finance minister for a while. Both of you, I'd like to get your take on this maritime deal, folks. Long story short, we've talked about in the newscast the past few weeks, uh, Israel and Lebanon are about to sign this agreement, uh, giving some Israeli maritime territory in the Mediterranean to Lebanon, essentially. And Lebanon will be able to excavate some of that natural gas. Israel supposedly will get some royalties from any fines that Lebanon has, if I'm not mistaken. We still don't know all the particulars of the deal, but Alex, to you, is number one, is the deal problematic? Number two, is it problematic that an interim government is forging such a very, very important agreement? Right, so this deal was in negotiations for the last 10 years. As people may have noticed, there's a lot of gas in the Mediterranean off the coast of Israel. Israel's become a natural gas exporter. Mm -hmm. There's also gas that extends into the uh, economic waters of Lebanon, which is Israel's immediate northern neighbor. There's also probably some gas uh, off the coast of Gaza to the south. Um, and within this disputed area is a pretty large reserve called the Kana Reservoir. Uh, and it extends over both the territories of Lebanon and Israel. Now, for 10 years, they had been trying to negotiate with American help uh, for some kind of 50-50 split, 60-40 split. Yair Lapid comes into office. Uh, within weeks, the entire scope of the negotiations changes, whereby Lebanon gets 100% of their initial claim uh, to the economic waters, and Israel gets uh, an American guarantee that there might be royalties from the gas. Now, might it should, be. It should a, be a guarantee from the Biden administration. Yes. Correct. And it should be understood exactly. that Israel's actually not even signing an agreement with Lebanon because Lebanon refuses to recognize Israel as a Jewish state, refuses to recognize their existing land border with the state. There of are no diplomatic relations between Lebanon and Israel. And the reason why this happened is because as as soon as Lapid came into office, uh, Hezbollah's chief, Hassan Nasrallah, sent attack drones in the direction of one of Israel's natural gas rigs uh, that's about to come online and said that if you don't give us this other rig in the disputed territories yeah. that we're going to attack your rig. Uh, and so the Americans and Yair Lapid completely capitulated to Hezbollah demands and gave them everything saying that they managed to avert a war. Wow, and Nasrallah said, Ruthie, if I'm not mistaken, that Hezbollah's missiles are, quote, locked on that. Yes, that's right. Field. So, but, you know, it's even worse than what Alex says, because not only did they do this, not only did they capitulate, they, meaning Yair Lapid and Biden. And by the way, he didn't need Biden's pressure. There's some people say, you know, the White yeah. House pressured him. No, no, yeah. he didn't need pressure. Okay. Uh, and a lot of even Israeli generals saying it's good we averted a war. Which it's even worse than what Alex said. First of all, there is no such thing as Lebanon. Uh, really, it's run by the Iran-backed terrorist organization Hezbollah. So this deal basically was made with Hezbollah. Furthermore, the, the reason that Lapid said it's urgent to get this signed now, before the end of the month, is because on the 31st of October, the president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, finishes his term and there is no replacement. So Lebanon, that already is just in a floundering mess, will be even worse. And the day after the Israeli elections are. So quick, 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 we got to do this 
before maybe there's a new government in Israel and before Lebanon collapses completely. Yeah, short and window. The, and the, so that's yeah. what, they pulled a fast one, then lied about it to said that's not true, we didn't capitulate. We, that's not true, we got lots of guarantees and we're gonna get revenues, but if you read the agreement, which is in a lot of legalese and it's not so easy to do, mm -hmm. it's not true. There are, that they hope to, and maybe, and maybe some percentage, but, but it, you know, and the biggest lie of all is Israel saying that the reason this deal is so great is that we don't want Lebanon to fall economically. This, the left in Israel perpetuates the myth that you need to keep bolstering your enemy's economy so that they'll stop wanting to kill you. Right. And it's a lie. Got Ruthie, Alex, great breakdown. Folks, by the way, you might hear some background noise. We are in Jerusalem. The city is vibrant. It's, it's alive. It's booming. So there is construction, which is a good thing behind us if you hear some background noise. Hey, we're filming outside, but you can't beat the view, I have to say. Uh, Alex, great breakdown, Ruthie, of the Lebanon deal. Alex, Benny Gantz, the current defense minister, former IDF chief of staff. Uh, interesting character, obviously long, uh, long history in the military, relatively short political career, but defense minister now, and he and Lapid are saying they will not serve in a government with Benjamin Netanyahu. What's your take on Gantz and uh, say Lapid and Netanyahu? Some have said, well, maybe they cancel each other out and Gantz is the one left standing. Is that a possibility? Well, Gantz, as you mentioned, was a long time uh, chief of staff of the Israeli military. The Israeli left loves to put generals at the head of political parties, even though it hasn't always worked out uh, for Israel when a general does get to the, the top of the seat of power here in Israel. Uh, he ran together with Yair Lapid in the third and second and third election cycles. Uh, those two actually split, but they are ideologically aligned. Gantz is probably not as much of an ideologue as Lapid. Um, to many of the members of the Israeli public, he, rec he represents a responsible figure, uh, maybe more so than Lapid, to, to lead a government in, in place of Netanyahu. Um, but he too would have to form a government with the members of the Israeli left. Uh, Netanyahu and Gantz tried to form a coalition together with mm -hmm. a rotation agreement after the third election. Uh, that government lasted about a year, uh, just like this last government lasted. Um, so both Gantz and Netanyahu have uh, campaigned saying that they will not sit with one another uh, following an election. But, you know, campaign promises are, are just <laughs> that. And uh, when the results come in, then we'll see who's willing to play ball and who's willing to sit with who. We shall see. Naftali Bennett, the former prime minister, also made some campaign promises that he did not keep to when it came to coalitions. And beforehand, we were, you, were t you were coaching me how to pronounce it. I still ben butchered Kvir. it. Ben Kvir. Well, he's a name that people should know from the Otsma Yehudit Party. Uh, he may be part of Bibi's coalition, along with Bezalel Smotrich. Right. Somewhat the close. The two of them are—they're both—they—they they, uh, just joined forces. They have smaller parties, individual parties, and to run in this election, they just—they joined forces, so that none of the votes are in danger of going in the garbage. In other words, because you have two parties who are, that are similar, 
you don't want voters to have to split their loyalty. There, there's an electoral threshold. If you don't get a certain percentage of votes, then all the votes that you got go to the, go to the garbage, and then all well, the rest of the votes get redistributed. So in order not to lose votes on one side, right. smaller parties will often join together as a technical block in order to try to get across the threshold and have right some exactly because you need and it's either you have four seats in the Knesset or zero. Okay, mm -hmm. you have to get up to four seats. So Itamar Ben-Gvir has become the biggest celebrity of this election. Um, he is a former Mayor Kahana activist. Uh, Kahana's party, Kach, was banned from the Knesset decades ago. He, in his youth, I have to stress this, in his youth, he was a Kahanist, uh, militant Zionist, type who used to say we have to expel all the Arabs. But he has since renounced those views of his youth. And the left highlights his name as though he's going to be prime minister. They say things like, they, they always say, by the way, he's not even the head of the religious Zionist party. That's Betzalel Smotrich. Nevertheless, highlighting Ben Gvir is a way of saying, you're gonna have a fascist, racist, they, they, they keep calling him all these names. And his popularity keeps increasing uh, because the country is in such dire straits uh, security-wise. And Isra even Israelis who wouldn't be voting for a religious party have said we're voting for Ben Gvir because he's gonna make sure that our, he's gonna make sure to guarantee our security. And uh, he wants a ministry in the next government. And by the way, if he gets as many seats as he's polling, he certainly will deserve a ministry, if not more than one, for sure. He's number three right now? Or, or uh, he's uh, number three. He and Gantz are, it depends, sometimes one is above the other, but he's polling at about 12 seats at the moment, 12, something like yeah, that, 12 Alex, to 14. Yeah, yeah, is this kind of an uneasy alliance between he and Bibi, perhaps? I think it's a natural alliance for Netanyahu and, and Ben Gvir. They both sit on the right side of the political spectrum. Certainly there is criticism on the left, you know, tries to make Netanyahu look like a right-wing fascist by sitting with people like Ben Gvir, but it certainly represents a much more stable government for him. Uh, and he's the most experienced politician in Israel by far, and I think he's going to have a very easy time keeping somebody like Ben Gvir in place, much easier than he would have keeping somebody like Benny Gantz from the center or from the left in place if they came into the government. So. You know, the, I think that the Ben Gvir vote represents a certain populism that you see uh, going through many countries around the world yeah. right now in Europe and the United States. And, yes. and he also represents, I think, many, many of Israelis' views, things that they, they believe for a long time. And I think that it's healthy that that view gets represented in the Knesset. Alex Ruthie, this has been great. What a breakdown of the Israeli political scene and what we can expect on November 1st. Last question from each of you. Final thoughts, you know, what big picture, what are you watching in particular on November 1st, and what are the ramifications for Israel and Israel standing in the world? Uh, I can tell you what I hope for. I hope that uh, the right has a clear majority. I hope the polls are only partly right. In other words, I hope the polls are wrong, that there's just uh, equal numbers of uh, an inability to form a coalition. I hope that in November, the midterms, will show Republicans taking back Congress. And then the other challenges that are, that 
Israel and America need to meet as allies, as natural allies, but not natural left-wing allies, natural conservative liberal in the old style sense yeah. of liberal conservative yeah. allies and i hope that that gets restored yeah did pretty incredible alex two crucial crucial elections for two crucial partners the united states and israel back to back just one week apart what are your thoughts well if you look at yair lapid's brief tenure as the interim caretaker prime minister he went to the united nations and he stated explicitly that israel should uh, work towards negotiating a two-state solution with the Palestinian Authority. That comes after nine years in which uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu refused to meet with Mahmoud Abbas or any members of the Palestinian Authority. In this last year, when Netanyahu has been out of office, uh, Benny Gantz met multiple times with Mahmoud Abbas. He invited him to his home in Rosh Ha'ayin in central Israel. Uh, and I think that it's very clear that if the left will get into power, especially with uh, a left-wing Biden administration in office, that there will be a very hard push to try to bring Israel back towards the failed Oslo two-state paradigm. Uh, and I think that it represents a grave danger for Israel. In addition, we saw and we discussed how Lapid completely capitulated to Hezbollah on the northern border regarding the natural gas. And uh, Israel may come to a head with the Iranian nuclear issue in these next coming mm -hmm. years. Netanyahu stated as much in an interview that I did with him just recently. Uh, he believes that it's his job to make sure that Iran never crosses the nuclear threshold. If you look at how Lapid and Gantz uh, are trying to deal with the Palestinian Authority and with Hezbollah, it seems pretty clear that they may just allow Iran to cross that nuclear threshold, which would represent an existential threat to the state of Israel. So I think that there's a lot on the line. Uh, and I think many Israelis are hoping that the most tried and tested statesman uh, Benjamin Netanyahu will return to power November 1st. Thanks again to Alex Trayman and Ruthie Bloom for that excellent analysis. Folks, be sure to check out their great work at JNS.org, the Jewish News Syndicate. JNS.org is a great site that I read every day to help me stay up to speed on Israel and the Middle East. They are doing important work. Hey, pray for Israel right now as they head into this election on Tuesday, November 1st. Thanks for joining us here for this Watchman Israel election preview. Until next time, God bless you. And remember, never hold your peace.